before we get going, I want to ask just for a bit of camera and a bit of history. Can you please state your full name and when you were born? William Frank Allen, the 5th of the 8th, 1942 in London. Do the quick maths for me. What's 1942? You've, you've just had a big birthday, have you? Well, 80, yes. Wow. Unbelievable. Yes. Well. Well. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you... <laughs> Yes, yes. If if you you thought thought I was much older than that, then well, I think you know. You remember, you used to work for a company for a long time, and you would get a gold watch or something, yeah. wouldn't you? I feel like you should get something for turning eighty. Eighty is a pretty big. Well, achievement. you do. You get something from the government. We had a letter. My my wife turned eighty as well in November. I turned eighty in August, and we got a letter from the government saying that we we are now entitled to another twenty five pence a week. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Bill, if I didn't know you were that rich, I would have charged well, you for coming in today. You know, <laughs> we don't know what to spend it on. We're just spoiled, you know. But whoever sat at a desk and thought, oh, what man. we'll do is when people turn 80, we'll give them another 25 pence yeah. a week. And they Whoa. all said, that's a good idea, isn't it? Yeah, somebody voted. That'll, yes. 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 People must that. have discussed this or... <laughs> Possibly a computer did it. Well, I mean, it's clear but, that you know you'll you'll give the government full support now that they're taking such good care of you. Well, yes, that's obviously why yes. they're doing it. They're yes. buying your loyalty. Well, yes, <laughs> yes, and they're not giving us. If you, if you listen to Stephen Nolan, do you? I've heard of him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, our money and nobody cares about us here. And oh yeah. dear. Well, let me ask you this, okay? Yes. When you were a boy. Yes. 75, 80 years ago, what would 25p have got you? If, you know, if your granny well, or whoever it was that slipped you a bit of shrapnel, gave yes, you 25p, um, what would you be doing? I remember it? being given um, two shillings, um, which is, what, 10 pence today. And two shillings was quite good. You could get a couple of packets of sweets and things. <laughs> I remember when sweets came off the ration after the end of the war, and we 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 <coughs> lived lived around the corner from a local Woolworths, mm. and we went into Woolworths, and sweets had come off the ration, and the counters were piled high with Mars bars and all this stuff, and I believe now I I would swear to it, but I do believe that the government had to put them back on the ration <laughs> after a couple of months because everybody gorged or they sold yeah. out yeah. or. But a Mars bar then was about um, – a Mars bar was, I think, five old pence, mm. which was – if you can work that out, it was, you know, um, 12 pence to a shilling, 20 shillings to a pound. You're looking at the wrong people. Yes. <laughs> the blank expression on these faces. Yes. Keep going. Keep going. Yes. And, um, <laughs> no, so it was very I, – I can remember being on the bus in London and paying a penny halfpenny, or a penny was the cheapest half fare mm. for a child. Right. A penny, Incredible. old penny, yeah, yeah. which, um, so that's, you know, I won't say a beer was tuppence a pint, because I, I don't <laughs> People say, what's, what's tuppence now? Yeah, People yeah, don't yeah. even know what tuppence yeah, I, is. I have no clue what tuppence is, no, but let me pennies. ask you. Two pennies. If right. you go, oh, yeah, tuppence, that makes sense. Two pennies. Mm, that's logical when you lay it out G like guess, that. Guess, guess what thruppence might be. 
Uh, I'm guessing it's four. Oh, very close. <laughs> very close. We used to have a threatening bit, a coin. A threatening bit. Threatening bit, yeah. 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 When, when Mom I, keeps telling me these things, yeah. When yeah. I would hear my great granny talk about old money, it sounded like she was speaking a foreign language. Yes. Yeah. It was very complicated. Yeah. I worked in pubs in slack periods. And adding up in the old money, I mean, um, £3, 11 and 6 and all that, 17 yeah. and 9 pence halfpenny, you know. Yeah. And I used to serve rounds of drinks, and I used to add them up once. And then if somebody came back for the identical round of drinks, I used to worry if if, if I charged them the same price or not. Because I, I couldn't add them up half the time. Now, neither could they, luckily. But they often knew if the price was different the second time, oh, you know. <laughs> But, Which uh, one did you cheat me on? <laughs> yes, yes. But adding up in that, that was very difficult. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I'm a yeah. child of the metric system, so I'm spoiled. Like, any yes. time I even hear about, like, pounds and ounces and stones, I'm just Well, like, stones stones and pounds are still used here yeah, yeah, in yeah. boxing and most sports. I yeah. mean, the, the, the Americans still use pounds. They haven't yeah, changed. Yeah. yeah, Americans just use and a bit they, of everything. And they still yeah. use miles. The American, as far as I know, they still use miles. But then it comes to sport, they've got well, yards and they've got all sorts of stuff. Because they would say yeah. clicks or kilometers, aren't they, in military speak? So they would say clicks. I don't know. measuring uh, in American military. And, and but horse I, there was, racing, they still talk about furlongs. Yeah, and that's true. They still talk about, my, nobody knows yeah. what a furlong is. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a sixth of a mile. I wouldn't. A sixth of a mile? I wouldn't. It's just no one necessary. <laughs> But this is horse racing, and that's a different world. It is a different world. Yeah, speaking about different languages, you know, you get someone talking about horses, that's like, may as well speak Chinese to me. It just does not compute. Yes, and then the football experts who talk about space at the back and all this Mm. business, and he's not coming forward enough. Yes. You know, the triangle, and um, one one of the coaches at the kids' football was shouting, attack the ball. Attack the ball, (laughs) yeah. I thought that's a good thing, you know, for somebody who doesn't know much about it, (laughs) to shout, attack the ball. It's good, simple. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? So if we go back uh, pre-Mars bars coming off the rations... Yes. What's one of the first things that you can remember? Well, I claim I can remember. Now, I claim this. We had, we lived in northwest London. We lived in Edgware during the war, which is just on the outskirts of London. Then um, I can I can remember we had a, a big steel table instead of an air raid shelter. I forget what they were called, but a big, huge, strong steel table. And the uh, the idea being in 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 the the event of an air raid, you all sat under the steel Everybody table. Under the table, yeah. And I can remember sitting under the steel table shelling peas with my mother. But as I recall, we sat under it not because we were about to be bombed, although there were bombs towards the end of the war, you know, the, the V twos and things. Hmm. But um, I have a feeling that we d- it wasn't because of the threat of bombs. It was just, you know, like children like to hide in mm. things. Yeah, so that's yeah. my first memory. Wow. wow. So what else of the war was well, present in your childhood? Well, my sister claimed, my sister, my late sister, um, she was three years, years older than I. And she claimed she could see, she could remember seeing the docks burning in East London wow. from where we lived. Now, I disputed it with her. I said she was imagining it and she didn't see it. But yeah. um, no, though. And I certainly remember loads of bomb sites. That was a thing when I was growing up. Yeah. There were bomb sites everywhere. And um, 
my parents would have talked about somebody having a good war, mm. somebody who did well during the war or came out of the war well. Right. And for loads of people, I believe, I remember my parents talking about this, that it was the most exciting time of their lives. Mm. It was immensely exciting. You know, but, but I, in, in much later years, I said to my mother, as I was born in August 1942, what on earth were you doing conceiving a child? I know what she was doing <laughs> in December 1941 because historically we were on a hiding to nothing. Mm. Yeah. The Nazis were covering. We were, we were beaten, according to everybody in the world, practically. We yeah. were stuffed. Yeah. And I said, what are you doing bringing a child into the world in these terrible times? And she said, oh, Mr. Churchill said it would be all right. Wow. So and I don't know. I think she was – I mean, whether people did have that sort of confidence. But that yeah. that I wish I'd spoken. I was, I, I, we were talking about it, and I said, I wish I'd spoken to more people who lived through the war yeah. about how they felt about yes. their chances. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did you always think you were going to win? That's really I mean, and – However bad we have said to you before, the troubles are now. In 1941, the massacres were starting in Europe or had already started. Yeah. Millions of people were going to gas chambers. I yeah. think that I just read a figure about 60 million died in mm. the Second World War. And yet we survived it all. Well, I mean, the 60 million didn't, obviously, yeah, but yeah. we, you know, we survived it. Yeah. So I tend to think whatever happens today, hmm. it was worse, I think, in 1941, surely. Hmm. Um, yeah, you know, if you compare something like a COVID pandemic to a Second <clears throat> World War, there's yes. no real comparison. The sort of the wanton cruelty and brutality, I can't even watch programs about Auschwitz and mm -hmm. Belsen and these yeah. places. The cruelty is um, how, you know, you know people, people often wonder how they would have behaved had they been young Germans yeah. in 1936, 1937. Would we have been brainwashed by Hitler? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I like to think I wouldn't have been. I couldn't imagine myself as a concentration camp guard. Mm. I couldn't imagine myself doing that. But I dare say in, you know, I mean, people said at the time, I remember, well, you know, after the war, that the Germans were the best educated, most intelligent people in Europe. Mm. And yet they did. And a lot of them. I mean, it wasn't just one or two. <clears throat> did appalling things. And that's what I, I still don't understand it to this day. I mean, mm -hmm. there, there's an interesting um, article I read really sobered me up. I have a friend in Germany who uh, once told me about the, the, the debt, the shame debt mm. the Germans feel. I remember him telling me, he's my age. I remember him telling mm. me when he was in school that um, they are taught very young ages that they did a very bad thing mm. and they must be very careful. And when they go out into the world, be very quiet, keep to yourself, be polite. I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing mm. a lot of what he said to me years ago, but I'm um, just this, this debt of shame that they all carried as Germans. There was no yes. pride, not like national pride that they were being taught in school. Yes. But one, this article that I read based on this, he was saying, uh, the article was saying um, that every, uh, say the next generation from the war, you know, 
got to a point where they were they would have have to have a conversation with their dad. Dad, where were you during the war? Ooh, where were you? What were you war, up to? Daddy. What did you do? Do you remember that old war? ad? Have you seen yes, that? Yes. I love that ad. Oh, that's yes. a completely different spin on it, though. Isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it? Very, very, very Apparently painful. very few were Nazis after the war. Yeah. <laughs> after, yeah. yeah. After the war, yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, just, no, just, I, just the concept I, um, of that. Is yes, just... yes. I don't know. Um, although I worked when I, w- I was about 18 or 19, I worked in uh, um, France in a band working on the American bases. You know, they still had American bases in France then. Mm-hmm. They had mainly hospital bases. They didn't have um, combat bases. De Gaulle was very opposed And there was a quote at one time that when he told the Americans finally to quit France, get out of France, and they said, 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 shall shall we dig these these cemeteries up as well? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You know, which um, will we, you know, which, but anyway, that was a political thing at the time. But we worked in France and we had a German band leader. Now, he would have been then, he claimed he'd fought in the defense of Berlin, a man called Dieter Knöfel, he claimed he'd fought in the fence, defense of Berlin, which is a bit like everybody knew the Beatles at school, you know. <laughs> um, and he said that before the war, he'd have been about 13 or 14. And he used this phrase to me, and I've always remembered it. He said, I remember Jews spitting on the heads of German workmen. And I thought, no, you don't. What does that mean? I mean, I didn't question him about. Yeah. But he was unapologetic. Right. Um, you know, uh, so that was just him. I mean, yeah. and he claimed he'd fought. Uh, whether he had or not, I have no idea, obviously. Yeah. But that was as much as we discussed the war, you know. Um, it's interesting. I uh, shared with you before recording. My wife's German. Yes. And, and I, how, oh yes. And so I, I agree with what you said, Sai. Like there is, there's a real lack of patriot, like patriot, yeah, patriotism, patriotism, well, patriotism, a lack of celebrating patriotism. where you're from. You know, even, yes. even, like the yeah. closest you'll get to national pride is maybe football. just maybe in the World Cup. Yeah. Yes, in the football. Just but, about yes. you know, you'll you'll not really get it any other time. No, yeah. but I, lo- um, I I love that ad. What did you do in the war, Daddy? Mm. I haven't seen this ad. Yeah, do, do yeah. you want to tell us yes. about it? Well, no. I, which what what was that for? I've forgotten what it was for. So I think it was a military recruitment campaign at the time. Oh yes, and it was this photograph, and it was a an older man who yes. looks like a bit of a, like a granda, and he's got a wee girl on his knee, <gasps> and the wee girl's like wow. looking up at him and saying Ooh, something like, where were you during the war? Or what did you do during yes. the war? And it was to basically encourage people to sign up and not be cowards yes. and take part. And like, yes. you know, Was this a German campaign? Or no, no, it was no, a British, British one. Really? It was, yeah. I can remember my I mother talking to me. to me. My father didn't really volunteer for the war. Now, as it turned out, he did have a bad heart. But at the time, we felt he rather, it's painful to say, he rather sort of dodged the bullet, you know, and remained working in London rather than going away. And he thought it would sort of better his career and so forth. He was a band leader. And when the people came back from the war, um, they tended to be favoured over those who hadn't gone. Yeah. Interesting. 
you know, and my mother felt that hurt my father's career a bit. Mm -hmm. Oh, of course. Yeah, that okay. he was right. regarded as not having gone. You know, I mean, because my, my uncle was a fireman in, in London during the war, and I never spoke to him about it. Wow. I know. How stupid can you be? Well, but you don't realize until it's no. too late, you know? No. Because you're, you're 10, 20, maybe even 30, and you're like, oh, it's just Uncle Bobby. You know what I yes, mean? Yes, Whatever his yes, name is. Yes. It's just like, that's just normal. Yes, and, um, you know, I was quite intrigued because there were very, there's been allegations about the, f during the war. Mm -hmm. I mean, when shops were bombed, was all the stock destroyed, you know? Um, oh, okay. What okay. happened to the Mars bars? Well, yes. <laughs> what, what happened to the watches and jewellery? <laughs> but um, no, so I Very never good. talked to him about it. My father worked as a band leader in central London, and he was in a club called Ciro's, which was quite a high society, posh place. And he went out for his break. There was another band there. I mean, just know this guy. Because he told me many times a guy called Snake Hips Johnson was the other band. And two bands. Snake Hips Johnson. Snake Hips Johnson, Brilliant. yes. Was that, a, was that a guy or a band? That, that was a guy called Snake Hips Johnson. But he had a band, like, too. Sounds like a blues, a blues guy. Yes. Yeah. And um, my father and his band went to the local pub for a drink during their break. And the place was bombed. And Snake Hips Johnson was killed and all the patrons wow. in Ciro's. Ciro's in London. It was quite a well-known... And then my father worked in London after that. You know, they stayed working there. And yeah. then he worked for the Mecca ballrooms, you know, and so on and so forth. But um, So how did you get over here? Well, I was looking to change my dire direction. I'd worked in um, dance halls and entertainment centers. I didn't realize, I'd love to say, I perceived that discotheques and things were dying, but I didn't <laughs> at all. Because um, I only learned what a Mecca ballroom was, yes. uh, I think, two weeks ago. Yes. Yeah. Well, they were very popular at the time. Big business, you mm. know. And um, no, I just wanted to change. I thought I spend my whole life or all my working life trying to get people to drink more because they all had bars. <laughs> and the really, the, 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 the profit was your admission money. That's profit. Mm -hmm. And the bars, you're making 60% or whatever it is. And so I thought I'd like to do something more worthwhile. So I was going to join. I thought I was too old for the police. I was about 35 then. I'd like to have joined the police, but I felt I was too old. And also at the back of my mind, something my father said to me, who I said to you was in the police during the war, he said to me, don't join the police if you're not prepared to lie in court. <laughs> now, I <laughs> don't know the... Wow. <laughs> that's a whole... But that was his feeling. This was during... You know, that's what yeah, he said yeah, to me sure, anyway. Yeah. And that always bothered me a little bit. So I applied to join the prison service in England, but they weren't recruiting at the time because um, we were in desperate financial straits. Um, eyebrows, what was his, was the chancellor, Dennis Healy. Who's a PM? Eyebrows. With the big bushy eyebrows. Um, must, might have been Harold Wilson, yeah, okay. I think, at the time. So this was 1977. And we were in debt to the gnomes of Zurich they talked about. Have uh, you ever heard of the gnomes of Zurich? <laughs> no, but it sounds awesome. It sounds awesome. <laughs> uh, Lord of the Rings kind of. Yes, yes, yes. I imagine dwarfs, like the really rich dwarfs. And <laughs> so I, we lived in, in Northern mines. Ireland briefly. We'd lived in Bangor when my father was working at the Belfast Plaza, which was a mecca ballroom. And oh, I yeah. went to Bangor Grammar School briefly. Look at that. 
Um, and um, there was a plaza in Belfast, which among older people would have been quite well known, you know. And um, so we'd been over here and lived in Bangor, very nice at the time. Nineteen That would have been the 1950s, middle 1950s. It was very nice. You know, seaside. That's it, yeah. Lovely place, you know. Mm. And then, as I say, we came back to London then because my, my father finished in the Plaza Belfast, so we went back to London. So, and then I saw an advert in a, mag in a, a magazine for the Northern Ireland Prison Service. So I thought they had, they, they were recruiting because there was, uh, there was always money for Northern Ireland. <laughs> You know, and uh, I thought, oh, that sounds jolly. And, um, <laughs> jolly. you know, I thought I'll go, you know, I'll yeah. go over and have a go. And I came over in 1977, um, about September 1977. And I was going, going to live in the Crumlin Road prison. I lived in one of those little houses on the front. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I walked from the docks to the Crumlin Road prison with my suitcase and waited and got in and went in and um, that was it and I joined up then and I hadn't I was going to leave in about 1982 the English were recruiting again and I thought I might go back to England but about that time or 1981 they started shooting Northern right. Ireland prison officers now I lived in and I was absolutely safe. If I didn't go out, I mean, I'd never <laughs> yeah, yeah, be yeah. shot. But the guys I was working with, mainly Northern Irish, who lived out, and I couldn't say to them, oh, I'm leaving, you know. Mm. I mean, it, 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 it was coincidental that people happened to get shot at the time I was thinking of leaving. Mm -hmm. But once they, they shot about eight in a year, and um, I thought, I can't say to these guys I'm working with, well, I'm away home, you know. Mm, yeah, yeah. I'm running away. I mean, I was in no particular danger. Absolutely. You know, it wasn't, yeah. you know. But it's a little bit like back to that, what did you do during the war? Yes. It's like, what yes. did you do during the shootings, Bill? Well, yes. Why, why did, why did you, you know? feel, you, just explain that to me, why, why did you feel you couldn't? Well, I felt they would have, I felt it was running away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I didn't like, I, Did you, you know, I thought maybe if it calms down, I'll go. And I came over to England, had the interviews, which I must confess weren't terribly strenuous. It's not a terribly high standard, I must say. Uh, you know, if you have a limb on each corner, virtually you're in. You know, much the same as here. But, um, but anyway, I turned it down. So I stayed yeah. in, in Northern Ireland. Right. Is, would you describe like a? Would there be a bit of a brotherhood in the prison service? Like well, the same I think as so. Yes, there's a, a, a lot of black humour and a lot of which. In so we could argue about this. In the banter was ferocious. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, you could say anything to anybody. I mean, you could. You know. Your four-eyed little fat git and all, you know, yeah, yeah. among the staff, not yeah. not with the prisoners, obviously, yeah. but among the staff, you could say anything to anybody, and if they became annoyed, you had won. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was a victory. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got him. They were the lesser person. Yes, I, I got him to bite there. You know, which right. in I mean, which is what I think they're complaining about a lot today. You know, yeah, that this sort yeah. of ferocious banter. And some of the worst banter was the ones from Belfast against a guy from Ballymena. <laughs> of course. 
<laughs> and saying he was thick and, you know, did he have a flash toilet at home? And, <laughs> oh you know, what really. An insult. What, Whoa, yeah, they, what right a burn. The there. <laughs> you know, really. A man's uh, throne. <laughs> yes. And that was the most ferocious I saw, you know, really with this guy from Balamina. I mean, there wasn't very much... Catholic Protestant because there weren't many Catholics in the job because they right. tended to get killed. Mm. I mean, we had a great leader of ours, Paddy Joe Kerr, who was a great guy. He was a senior rank and he was shot on the steps of Armagh Cathedral coming out of mass, holding hands with his children and his head was blown over his sons. Oh. Now, that's absolutely true. You know, you can mm-hmm. check the back 1983, I think it was. Now, he was um, very highly regarded in the prison service, yeah. although he was a practicing Catholic. I mean, that really didn't matter. It wasn't your religion. It was your sort of loyalty yeah. that was the – and we still have a golf day now oh, for Paddy Kerr. Wow. And uh, we all go in about 2025 turn up. And that's been going on since 1980. I think they started about 1985, but he was killed in 83, I think. And, um, you know, they killed Catholic prison officers as they've tried to kill Catholic policemen, mm-hmm. as you well know, you know, yeah, to, sure. to keep so that, to me, in my opinion, so that they could claim the imbalance, you know. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to go back slightly. Yeah. It's a very strange career move that you made. Well, from entertainment. Well, I stopped drinking, you see. I used to be a big drinker. And I stopped drinking and realized I didn't want to work in that. I didn't mind the people drinking because I worked for Mecca Dance Halls and they had a very strict staff no drinking policy, which was very good. Because we, you know, I mean, I I worked in a big place in Liverpool, uh, the Grafton Rooms in Liverpool, the Gravy, they used to call it. And um, they used to have over 30s night on a Thursday (laughs) that was universally known as Grabber Granny. (laughs) 30 years old. (laughs) (laughs) And... um, They used to say if you if, if you couldn't cop off on Thursday night at the Gravy, there was something wrong with you, you know. That's, that's but I mean, we would I mean, and we would the big guy. We would have had maybe ten or fifteen supervisors, yeah. dormant, yeah, bouncers, and to keep them sober was always, you know, you couldn't afford even in those days to have them drunk, you know. So we had a very strict non-staff, non-drinking policy, which right. suited me fine because I'd stopped drinking. Right. But then I thought, all I'm trying to do, I just got bored with it, mm-hmm. to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've been sober for 50, 50 years? years? Yeah. Yes. Congrats. Did you have a problem with big drinking? Big problem. Oh, big problem. From when I started drinking. Oh, really? Uh, when I was sort of 17 or 18. I joined a band when I was 18. I went to a, off to a band. And the boys in the band said to me, look, There's no point saying you don't take drugs because everybody takes drugs. But there's certain rules, they said, best for yourself. Never inject anything. Hmm. Um, Don't take things to cure a hangover. Hmm. What goes up must come down. And you've got to live with the down. Yeah. You know, once you – well, it wasn't – it's not a modern thing, drugs, you know. I mean, people have been taking drugs. So um, we used to take amphetamine. Yeah. And stay away. Yeah, I don't know if you've 
take amphetamine or t- it's quite effective for what it does. You <laughs> I know. can imagine. Yes, it keeps you awake, alert. Yeah, right. Let me go. Right, let's go, boys. Let's go. You know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, but then I started drinking. I went to France then, as I said, to work for the American Army or for an agent for the American Army. And then I started drinking heavily now. And that is a fairly heavy drinking atmosphere, yeah. the American Army, all armies, I think. The, the American Army used to get paid once a month in cash in those days. And sometimes that would fall on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And the American Army was drunk on Saturday. I would argue the entire American army and air force <laughs> If ever the Russians wanted to invade. It's our day off, guys. Come on. Yes. They got paid last night, you yeah, know, yeah. a month's wages in yeah, cash. Useful intelligence, isn't it? Very yes. I believe this is true. We worked at a place called Metz on the German border, and they had fast jets that would fly over Russia and Turkey. And they said there that the pilots used to inhale pure oxygen to sober up. Now, wow. I've heard that that does work. I don't know. But so this was during the Cold War and American pilots are That's flying fast jets. Now, what I don't know if they yeah, had yeah, yeah, sure. nuclear weapons or anything. But they were flying. <laughs> I'm glad you're not prepared to make that claim they were right here today. Fast jets. <laughs> I have to cut some of this, I think. Fast jets. And wow. Blitzed in the <clears throat> officers' club at two o'clock in the morning sure. and flying at six. Bit of oxygen in you and you're Bit of oxygen. Apparently that sobers you up. Now, I've heard, I don't know because I've never tried it. How did you get sober? I decided, well, I was working in a nightclub, then I'd left the band business. I wasn't good enough, quite frankly. Hmm. And I left playing the drums and went to work for nightclubs because I thought that's all I sort of know about. And I realized my drinking was getting worse. And um, I tried to stop and couldn't stop. Used to do all these things that people, I don't want to bore you with the whole alcoholic thing, but you try and cut down on whiskey and only drink beer or only drink wine. And then you get just as blitzed as you did before. And I met a girl I was quite fond of. And she said to me, you have a drinking problem, you know. And I said, rubbish. I said, I'm a bit of a lad, you know. <laughs> I have a few. But she said, you don't. You're stupid. Hmm. And that, and I went to AA. And in common with a lot of people, apparently, I said, oh, you can't do anything for me. I'm too bad. I'm too far gone. Hmm. And they had a thing that I saw him. I always remember I saw him on the Monday. And he said, we can get you into hospital in Liverpool on Thursday. There was a specialist had five or six beds in a hospital that he was allowed to use for AA. Now, it was quite easy to wean you off the physical addiction. You know, they could tablets and they can help you with that, but it's the psychological addiction, obviously, mm-hmm. that why you drank in the first place. Why did you drink? Why you drink to excess. Did you get to the bottom of that? I, I, not really. I think it just became a habit and... Um, I don't really know, as my father wasn't a big drinker. Mm. Um, I don't know. I just sort of fell into that. I didn't realize I was drinking. Now, looking back on it, oh yeah, I can think, God, you bloody fool. Do you think you were saying about your dad, um, there was possibly a question over him for not going to the war? Yes. Of, I don't want to use the word cowardice, but 
there was a question over him of he was less celebrated than the guys who came back. Yeah. Do you think any of that might have affected you carrying his name? I don't were, know. Were you a firstborn? No, second. My a sister. Second. Uh, my firstborn son. Late sister, yes, only son, yes. Yeah. For, well, as far as I know, but he was a bit of a womanizer. I do have a half-sister somewhere else who made contact with me. But, um, yeah, my parents divorced when I was 11. Uh-huh. But um, I don't know. I've never thought about it like that. You never, never bullied in school or anything like that? Anything no, I went to, a, to a, went to a Catholic school, funnily enough. My mother was Catholic. And we went to a Catholic school in London, and most, a lot of the pupils were Irish, hmm. London Irish, and most of their fathers hadn't been to the war. Mm-hmm. Right. Some had, of course, but most of them hadn't, as opposed to, um, so I didn't really know anybody at school whose father was killed in the war. Hmm. And I remember thinking, um, there should be boys here. Yeah. Whose fathers were killed in the war, mm. you know. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's a long time ago now. That's, yeah. uh, no, so I don't think um, it's a bit like I would be very anti the adoration of John Wayne. Mm. John Wayne didn't go to the Second World War. John Wayne stayed in America making films. And about, then he played the <laughs> after the war. Then yeah, he played yeah, all yeah. these American heroes yeah, and yeah, soldiers yeah, yeah. and people, but he didn't go. Other ones where James Stewart went, um, yeah. David Niven, X amount of actors yeah. went. Elvis. Talk to me about uh, Ken Lewis. Well, Ken Lewis, military medal. He joined the prison service at the same time as I did in 1977. He'd just finished 21 years in the Irish Guards. And he was the same age as I was. And he was a great influence on me because I was coming from a completely different atmosphere. As you said, a big change from the dance halls and things. And Ken was a very tough, um, say, he'd won a, a military medal in Aden. Um, they'd been on an amb, which is quite a good gong. It's not a, as somebody cruelly said, a toilet cleaner's gong. It's, um, <laughs> It's a good, it's a courage gong, you know, it's only a couple down from a VC. And they were, they were staking out an ambush and they got ambushed. They didn't set the ambush very well or it wasn't well done. He was a, an, a sergeant and they got ambushed by the ones they were meant to be <laughs> ambushing. You know, they were careless and, and the officer who was in charge of them, a young lieutenant collapsed in the corner and cried. They were in a sanger. His nerve went, and Ken took command of things and um, sussed it out and won the, the military medal for that. The officer stayed on in the regiment, but as somebody said, they, they put him in charge of the band or something. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, so, no, he was a very interesting character. I noticed his... We were doing some PT and stuff and his enthusiasm, he threw himself into the exercises, this army sort of background. And then there was an incident in the Mays prison. We ran or he ran and I was one of his helpers, a committal wing, because most of the prisoners would have been on remand in Belfast, remanded in custody. Then they got sentenced and then two or three days later they would come to the Mays to start their sentences, you know, whatever they'd got. And the Shankill Butchers were coming in, who were quite a well-known gang. You've heard of them, I yeah. suppose, yeah. 
and they came in in dribs and drabs. Now, the, the committal wing was run on, so it had been set up by another ex-soldier, and it was run sort of on army lines. It was quite strict um, because uh, some sort of maybe good reasons that it gave, you know, that they were shocked. They just got long sentences. There wasn't much for them to do, so we set up little routines of polishing stuff and cleaning stuff, more to get them out of the cells and get them mixing and, um, you know, just to see, to try and start them on their sort of long sentences, many of them. And the Shankill Butchers, I think there was about 10 of them were convicted, some for lesser offences, but the main ones, Bates, um, and they came in and... The regime was quite strict, as I say, and they kept saying, when Big Sam McAllister, who was one of them, when he gets here, he won't do this. Mm. He'll never do this. He'll yeah, tell you to yeah. stick it away. We said, okay, then when Big Ken comes, when Big Sam comes here, we'll deal with him. You know, okay, fair enough, boys, but at the, at the minute you'll do it. So he, they, so we heard this day, um, Big Sam was coming. And he was due in in the afternoon, and Ken was a straight day. It meant he finished at five, and I was working till eight. So I would have had to we, – we used to interview them, you see, just to try and get them to talk, see how they regarded their sentence. Right. Mm-hmm. Did they think it was fair? Were they f- spitting feathers? You know, just to try and gauge them. And he said to me, look, if uh, – yeah, so we used to sit in the little office and talk to them. He said, if Big Sam gives you an any trouble at all, he said. Um, don't bother trying to talk to him. Just lock him up, Ken said. And um, tell him, I'll tell him, Ken Lewis will be down here at half past seven in the morning and I'll unlock him. And if he wants trouble, I'll give him all the trouble he wants. And I thought, <laughs> you follow a man like that, don't you? <laughs> Not we will give him. A, he said, uh, you know, tell him. I'll, and as it was, he was a big pussycat. Yeah. He was a big soft-headed I mean, you couldn't believe quite with his sense of humor and things what he'd done, you know. Yeah. He claimed drink played a large part in it. I don't know. I mean, he was silly things. We were on the landing one day, just the two of us, and he turned to me and he said, next time we're on the landing like this, he said, and it's just you and me. <laughs> he says, I'll call you Bill and you can call me Sam. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that sort of... A lot of Belfasty sort of wit, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, but a very horrible man. But you know, you can only treat people as it's true as they give as you yeah. find them. There's yeah. no point saying. Yeah. I mean, yeah. because w- the thing the boys used to tell me, which I didn't quite believe, but I do now. They said just because somebody's in for burglary doesn't mean that's all he's done. Mm. You don't know what else he's done. That's true. He may have got caught. We had Robin Jones, who was a guy called the Jackal. Um, and notorious around the Porter Down area, notorious killer, UVF killer, and he was in for a possession of a firearm. He only did he did five and a half years, but he was a notorious killer. Um, there were and other gangs came in for armed robberies, and I was saying, "Are oh, there only armed robbers?" And boys were saying to me, "They're not, Bill. Mm-hmm. This is a murder gang. You know they'll." And one UDA leader, now this is absolutely true, said to me one day, you know, he said, there's boys on this swing. I've worked with outside, which I presume to meant to mean he'd killed with. Mm-hmm. He said, there's boys on this swing. I've worked with outside. But he said, you know, they would cut your throat at seven o'clock tonight and be fast asleep at eight. Mm-hmm. Said it wouldn't fizz on them. 
Entschlossen. And I said, ooh, don't do that. Said, you wouldn't, would you really? But that sort of thing, you know. This is a, maybe a hard question to answer, yeah. but I wanted to go back to Ken and yeah. both the examples you shared, whether it was him as a soldier or him uh, in the prison. Yes. Why is it that you think, as someone who's been in a lot of tense situations, mm. right, through your work, why do some men crack and why do some well, men rise to the challenge? I've no idea. You know, like why does yes, one guy burst yes. into tears and the other guy runs towards the, yes, the gunshots? Yes, I've no idea. I mean, um, whether it's um, – I think a great fear was being thought of a coward by your colleagues, but that it would be a slightly different situation. I mean, some, but I mean, Ken saying that to me was an indication to me of his inner strength mm. that um, he would deal with it. Not the, the system will deal with it. I will deal with this guy. Mm. As I say, if you want trouble, I'll give you all the trouble you want. Now, come on out. Mm. Personal responsibility. Yes. Um, you know, I, 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 um, I, I, I always admire physical courage you know and there was another instance uh, I was in charge of a well in charge I worked with the provisional IRA on a wing I wasn't really in charge of them and um, they would always talk they were quite much easier to talk to than the the prods (coughs) and why do you think that is? I, I don't know um some of the prods would talk to you. It, they, I shouldn't generalize like that. It's very sectarian. Oh my, I'm so but, offended. <laughs> yes, no. Um, some of the, yeah, what I meant was some of the probies would talk to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some wouldn't. Some of the prods would talk. I have some very interesting to me conversations with UDA leaders. The UVF were <coughs> a really a different kettle of fish. They, <coughs> I think they were well aware that to form any sort of bond with people humanizes them. And mm-hmm. they wanted to think of us as their enemies, as we <clears throat> did them. I mean, we weren't supposed to be supposed to be their friends in any sense. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and so to keep that, but when you're with people regularly, 12 hours a day, 13 hours a day, you do get to know some of them. <laughs> but I was away on leave, and another guy who I knew quite well took over my little job, which was in the H block. And when I came back, one of the provosts said to me, oh, hello, Bill. I said, yes. He said, um, that wee man who was in your place. I said, oh, I." He said, yeah. He said, he's frightened of us, you know. I said, is he? And I took that as a great compliment. As a compliment, yeah. <laughs> as you should. Yeah. Well, I think so. I think so. Or you're just stupid, you know. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, they were frightening people, but they weren't going to, you know, if they – were told to kill you, I felt they would kill you. But they, they, as I mentioned before, they killed staff in the early 80s. And then they stopped doing it because it didn't get them anywhere. Not because they liked us, but it didn't get them anywhere. So this is kind of shifting gears slightly, but I love the quote that you sent through. And it's a George Orwell quote, yes. right? And I'll just read it so yeah. I'll not butcher, you know, the mighty Orwell. <laughs> People sleep peacefully in their beds at night only because rough men stand ready to do violence on their behalf. Yes. Talk to me about that. Well, I think it's so true. And I quite like a lot of Kipling, 
you know, it's um, Tommy this and Tommy that and chuck him out the brute. <laughs> and Tommy till, till, till the guns begin to shoot. Mm. You know, you do need – and the problem, I mean, I'm – very interested in the army. I didn't didn't go in the army, but I've always been very interested in it. And the problem, this is why the discipline has to be so strict a majority of the time. I mean, a lot of them are rough men. Hmm. And you do need rough men on occasions. The, the parachute regiment is a sort of classic example, but you have to keep them disciplined. Otherwise, they <clears throat> become a gang of, a gang of criminals. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, but I do think that's very, very true. And then when people bleat about excessive force or whatever, mm. um, it's, it's very hard, I think. Um, the Parachute Regiment, I think, are a good example. I was born in 95, so I'm a child of the Good Friday mm. Agreement. I've grown up in times of peace. I've never known, like, violence on a... No. Wide scale, on a large scale. And the kind of drumbeat of our generation, our schooling, has been violence is never the answer. Violence is never the answer. It is. And my friend mm. said to me the other day, well, actually, <laughs> there comes to a point where yes. violence is the answer. Absolutely. And it's bedded into our society. It says, if I turned on to you right now and I started wrecking your house mm. and threatening your family yes. and you yourself couldn't subdue me, what would you do? Yes. I'd say, well, I'd like to think I could subdue you, but uh, we'll put yes. that to the side. Yeah. Uh, yes. Well, I would call the police. It says, okay, well, you're calling for violence. Yes. That's what you're calling for in Absolutely. that moment as a solution to the problem. Absolutely. Um, one of the great, uh, oh, his name's gone out of my head now, a philosopher said that war is a dreadful thing, but not having the moral courage to go to war when you should is even worse. And I think Russia, the thing is an example today. How long do we let Russia do what it's doing? Just let them carry on? So what? The bombing people and what do we do? I don't know. Mm. Do we risk another nuclear war? Would they back down? But not having, to me, it's a lack of moral courage when the United Nations... <laughs> Um, sitting in Sharm el-Sheikh talking about the weather and the Russians are bombing all around. I, I assume the Russians are the bad guys in this. I mean, I haven't heard anything to suggest that they're not. I mean, I'm always interested in the other side of the story, but I don't think there is another side of the story as there wasn't with Germany. There wasn't a good side of Hitler, I don't think. But... Um, so, I mean, do we lack the moral courage today? I, I don't agree that violence is never the answer. Of course it is. It was the answer in 1938. Mm. Um, whether it was the answer in 1914 is another matter. You could have a whole <laughs> historical debate about the First World War. But um, no, so I, I, don't, no, I don't agree with that. And violence uh, the th or the threat of violence can be a major factor. Are you, would you describe yourself as a man of faith? No, absolutely not. What did you see inside prison in terms of people at the end of themselves? The majority sentiment I found in prison was self-pity. It's not my fault. Mm. I shouldn't be here. They made me do it. Very few said I did it. Um, and I'm responsible. 
It was the troubles, it was political pressure, it was um, temporary insanity. But self-pity, I remember thinking, was the overweening. Very few said I did it and I must pay, you know, pay for it. And we used to have a talk, I used to talk to all sides about this, and I used to say if there was a magic court in the sky and you could go back and be tried for what you've done, everything you've done or keep the sentence you've got, which would you prefer? <laughs> and the vast majority would keep the sentence they've got <laughs> because they used to say you're very unlucky to be caught first time out. <laughs> Anybody who says this was my first burglary, yeah. you know, um, it may be true, possibly, obviously. Yeah. But more than likely, as I said, just because somebody's a burglar, that doesn't mean to say he hasn't killed people. Is there a thread or was there a thread that you saw in the, as a really broad brush, but in the types of men that end up inside? Well, there were very few from Malone, they said. <laughs> very few. Mainly, I, I hate the expression working class because it's so hard mm. to define yeah. if you pick it apart. But mainly, mainly fairly ill-educated. Um, whether they were like Hitler's men who believed, I mean, most of them, they must have believed what they were doing was right. I mean, obviously, it doesn't make it right just because you believe it's right. But they're mainly ill-educated um, a lot of family, a lot of sort of family and big families. And um, I always remember one who'd been in for a long time and he went home on home leave in about, would have been about 1992 or 93. He'd been in for probably 12 years or 15 years and he was from Londonderry and he went home and he said, you wouldn't believe it. He said, I don't believe it. He said, everybody's got TVs and cars and carpet. Mm. So it's very hard to get these people to rebel, as it were. Mm. You know, he said things have so changed. There's something about a, a dog. In Belfast prison, when it was built, they didn't have dogs or anything, you know. And then when dogs were introduced, I don't know when that was, but comparatively recently, for the dogs to do their business in, they dug a big pit and filled it with sand. And then the dogs peed or shit on this area. There was no drainage or anything. It was just supposed to be a temporary thing. Anyway, this guy said he'd work with his dog, and they went this day to the pit for his dog to do his business. And he said the dog squatted down and started to sink. <laughs> he said, and he was in the middle of this big pit, and he said, I looked at the dog, and the dog looked at me. He said, and the dog knew I wasn't going to come in and rescue him. He said, and he reckoned that destroyed their trust. <laughs> now, that's what he told me. Oh, my goodness. He said, we looked at each other. That's my favorite part. I thought, you're by yourself here. Yeah, if you yeah. sink down into that, I'm not dig diving <laughs> yeah. in there head first to pull you out. Now, that's what he said. Not now, uh, it's that's just that moment, that yes. moment of recognition yes. of the dog going, do you know what? We're done. Total betrayal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Total betrayal. Absolutely. All you learn a lot about a man in a situation yes. like that. Yes. Don't you? <laughs> when you're sinking into a morass yeah, yeah. of feces and who's going to pull you out, yeah. you know. So that oh was the uh, the dog story. 
Oh, my goodness. And the other dog story was the tunnel. The Provis, it was oh, well, yeah. the Provis built a tunnel. And they'd got about halfway in this lunatic tunnel. It, they should never have been. It, luckily, I wasn't in the block where they built it. But um, they built this tunnel, and then a guy was on nights with a dog, and it was rough ground, Not and the dog was indicating that there was something there. And he had the self-confidence in the middle of the night, which you can imagine, to ring our control room and say, look, there's something wrong here. Hmm. You need to get a digger in first thing in the morning. And they were sort of talking about. They My can't, goodness, what intuition is that? Yeah, yeah. You can't dig tunnel. You know, we thought the, the floodplain was too high. It also which it wasn't. But, oh, don't be daft. The dog smelled. No, he says, mm. My dog is indicating that there's something serious here. There's mm. something wrong. And I trust the dog implicitly. Mm. And they got the digger in and dug up and found the tunnel. Yeah. So, I mean, I thought that was... Um, yeah. So this is this is something I learned from Neil, Neil Powell, who will be a, a guest of ours soon as well. Neil Powell, the dog yeah. handler. He said, if you read his book, Search Dogs of Me, I think I might have yeah. given you yeah. a copy. Um, the dog is always right. <laughs> the dog is always right. We're the ones who get it wrong. Well, I heard of those American customs things. And yeah. a dog was indicating with his van that there was something on it in America. And they searched the van and couldn't find anything. And they said to the driver, what do you normally do? He said, I do deliveries for a butcher. <laughs> and <laughs> they said, oh. And they said, don't forget, he's still a dog. Yeah. He's only a dog. He had an agenda. <laughs> no, no, he was right. <laughs> there was something there he could smell, you know. And he said, yeah. you mustn't forget he's a dog, you know. Yeah, yeah. And the butcher stuffed. Why do you dislike certainty? Well, because there isn't any. <laughs> Thanks for coming today. That's Next. the end of the podcast. <laughs> I mean, I heard somebody say the other day, the future of the assembly is uncertain. <laughs> so, well, of course it's bloody uncertain. <laughs> Everything's uncertain. Will you be sitting in that chair in the morning? Oh, you hope so. I don't know. No, exactly. Yeah. So what are you certain about? I mean, who has it said about certainty? Um, yes. Um, not I, uh, Bertrand Russell. Right. Said about certainty. This, I've, know, got, I've got is. the phrase uncertainty principle. Is that well, the same? Well, you topic? know, he said um, people are often certain about things for which there's, there's no evidence and no, ah, right. you know. Um, somebody said if, if, if who was an unbeliever, if they died and went to heaven and God said, well, what have you got to say now? And he said, lack of evidence. <laughs> you know, there wasn't enough evidence. Would... The Lord prefer, if there is one, prefer unquestioning obedience with threats of punishment, or would he prefer reasoned logic? I don't know. You know, I mean, I, as I say, I don't believe in a God. But mm. um, there's one thing for certain, though. You'll find out one way or another. Well, yes. As, <laughs> as we all will. Well, sooner than you, probably. I, I hope. hope so. <laughs> I hope so, too. I hope so, too. When you get to 80, yes. how do you start to think about things like death and the end and legacy well, and big I, things like that? Well, legacy is a different thing, I think. I mean, yeah. what you've done with your life. I mean, I regret the years I was alcoholic. Complete waste of time and... Yeah, that I regret. I mean, looking back now, that was a waste of time. 
part of the, the 12 steps, which I think is, is very, very good. I, I like AA except for the business of a higher power. I don't think there's a higher power. I've never seen, I mean, never, anyway. And, um, you try and make reparation to the people you've hurt and offended through your drinking. And regret is the most futile of emotions, they say. Hmm. Um, uh, uh, as the Catholics used to say, a firm purpose of amendment to say, I won't do it again. But there's no point beating yourself up over what you did. I mean, I still think about it now and I'm dry 50 years. I still think about the waste of time and how obnoxious I was and yeah. um, in drink, you know, and this awful. What was the question again? <laughs> oh, like, God. God, at no, my age getting to. Legacy. Let's stay legacy. Well, legacy. Leg legacy to me is my children. That's my legacy. Uh, what would you like to impart to your children that you have learned and the stage you're well, at now? Well, if is like, I, I wish could, I had. it would be mainly don't worry. That's good. Yeah. It, it's useless and time consuming and does so much harm to people's mental health, mm -hmm. I think. Um, don't drink to accept. Don't. I mean, who needs drink at all? I don't understand why. I've never met anybody in my whole life who drink made better. <laughs> met people <laughs> who enough. think it does. Fair enough. Wow. But yeah. I've never met anybody. So I would yeah. much sooner talk to you now than you after 10 pints. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to a frothy chemical. Yeah. And I've got to be under the I table mean, after five pints. <laughs> and how people talk about... Drink and drugs. They're not. It is not a drink and drugs. Alcohol is a drug. Yeah, yeah. you're taking drugs. You have. They have yeah. organised drug taking. Yeah, and it's all considered good fun. And I hate this sort of sniggery. We had a few pints. Uh, I fell asleep in the toilet. Uh, isn't that funny? That's not funny. Yeah, I don't find it funny. Yeah. And but you know, I mean, if if you can't drive after two pints. Hmm. Why should be able to, you should be able to talk after two pints. Yeah. You obviously, I mean, it hasn't increased your intelligence level. <laughs> if you could take anybody out for, what did you have, a latte? For a cup of coffee, a latte, who would you take? This is dead or alive. Well, it sounds awful corny, my wee wife. That's a great answer. That's uh, it's awful corny. That I think that's probably the correct answer to but, that question. No, I mean, <laughs> you I have won the prize. Everybody, ladies and gentlemen, some falls down from the ceiling. Your wife's out here. We bring her in. Yay! But, no, I mean, there's yeah. um, apart. Okay, so apart yeah, from yeah, apart, apart from, from immediate Mary, family, yeah. then yes, out of history. Um, or, I suppose. I like. I like. Their um, wife let me. Well, well you have to have. Yeah. I, I, I suppose Churchill probably. Hmm. I think he led an extraordinarily interesting life mm. through turbulent times and um, probably Churchill um, or Queenie, actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the late Queen, I'm sure she, you know, she must have had a fascinating, mm. keeping her mouth shut, mm. you know, not expressing personal opinions. I remember reading after she died there that... Um, Harold Wilson always said that he was her favorite prime minister, but nobody could ever find anything where the Queen said it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Queen never expressed any opinion that anybody can find yeah. 
of who was her favorite or what she thought about. And I, I thought she did a super job staying, you know. Um, so probably, yes, Churchill. Churchill and the Queen. Final question then. Yes. If you could go back in time mm-hmm. to an 18-year-old version of yourself and you had a couple of minutes of that young man's time, yes. what would you say to him? Don't bloody drink. Mm. Bill, thank you. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. <laughs> Loved it. Finally, glad yeah. to get you in here. <laughs> thank you so much. Awesome. Well, I hope that's of some interest to you. Oh, it's a lot of interest. It's quite enjoyable talking about yourself. It's never very unpleasant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a nice thing, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Yes, what are you going to I'm going to talk about myself. Oh, because nobody else wants. My there's, grandson there's won't listen right to me. There. It's lovely talking about yourself. <laughs>